Hi, everyone. Welcome to Extra Help with Inside Schools. I'm Tom Liam Lynch. This past Monday, state officials canceled the New York Regents' exams, required exams for high school graduation in the state. The move was welcomed by many parents and teachers alike, but canceling exams does not mean teachers should slow down assessments. If anything, we need more assessments. Let me explain. First, it was absolutely the right move to cancel the Regents' exams. Officials should actually do the same thing for the August exams, which are also closer than we all think. But like, why was it right to cancel the exams? Well, the main reason has to do with their relationship between high-stakes exams and curriculum and instruction. So when we think about teaching, you have to think about it in like three big kind of areas. There's curriculum, there's instruction, and there's assessment. And when you have a high-stakes assessment like Regents exams, that kind of assessment can have a direct impact on the way curriculum is designed and the way instruction is implemented. So, for example, you might have teachers who are, you know, especially if they have a subject that's been tested a lot in the past or has a Regents exam with it, their curriculum probably takes into account the actual like questions that tend to appear on the Regents exam. So I've worked with social studies teachers before in high school and without question, teaching social studies, science, these are subjects that usually have an awful lot of content to cover. So if you're a social studies teacher in high school, you have to make decisions about what content am I going to like focus on most? Do I focus on the Civil War, on Reconstruction? Do I focus on the Great Depression? Like, where do I put my time and energy? The way you determine that is by too often looking at the state exams and saying, like, what are the main you know, topics that the state exam covers? And in the case of New York, that's the Regents exam. So you make curricular decisions based on the reality that there's a high stakes exam in the future that you have to you have to prepare students for and that you yourself as a teacher are going to be judged against. In addition, it can it can affect instruction. So if curriculum is choosing, for example, that like, okay, we're going to spend time focusing on the Great Depression, instruction has to do with like, well, what are the kinds of activities we're going to do in the classroom with students knowing that the high stakes exam is coming? So again, in a social studies classroom at the high school level, what you might see in the middle school level as well, is you might see an emphasis on something called like document-based questions. So that's where they have like a primary artifact um, from history. Maybe it's like a political cartoon and students spend time describing what they see and then identifying, you know, all sorts of different implications and inferences they can make about history from that one kind of original artifact. That's an instructional move, right? That's like an activity in a classroom that a teacher chose to do. But notice that like the activity was chosen in part because the state exam is going to ask document-based questions and is also going to emphasize those kinds of questions. Um, you get the same thing with writing. Like the way we teach writing, broadly speaking, in schools, like too often is driven by a certain kind of writing that's expected on state exams. But when you talk to writing researchers, they'll very quickly tell you that that kind of academic or high stakes writing is not real writing. It doesn't actually give students a chance to develop their thinking, their creativity. Um, in fact, it, in, it almost does the opposite. It gives them an all too narrow formula to take their ideas and to sort of shove their ideas into. Um, you can see this too when you look at uh, when I've taught college. You'll see that students are can be can really struggle with like putting their ideas down on paper, with thinking expansively about topics or in sophisticated ways, and then writing about them. Those are the basics, right? But one of the reasons why students struggle is because the high stakes 
um, exams have what researchers call a negative washback on curriculum and instruction. So by hitting the release valve on the high stakes assessments in New York, um, officials have been able to, in theory, they've been able to create conditions where teachers can focus on more, you know, creatively and genuinely relating with students and adjusting their curriculum and instruction in order to try to meet students where they are. Um, one could also argue that, unfortunately, they canceled those exams a bit too late in the game, and a lot of teachers have already hit the ground running in whatever direction, up or down, but they've hit the ground running, um, you know, with an implied, with not an implied, but with a with ambiguity over whether certain exams would be canceled and whether or not they would matter at the end of the day. Um, so better late than never, perhaps, and it'd be really great if we saw shifts in instruction now that we know the exams are actually canceled. Now, those, those are all kind of reasons and context for why canceling the exams was absolutely, uh, from my perspective, was absolutely the right move. At the same time, canceling the exams doesn't mean that assessments should be eased up. Teachers, I think, should actually increase assessments. Um, but there are some caveats to what I mean by that. So first is there's a difference between tests and assessments. So tests or exams are a particular kind of assessment, but there's actually tons of kinds of assessments. The two main sorts that you'll hear in schools are called formative assessments and summative assessments. So tests or the regents exams are summative assessments. That means that they're given at the end, summary, they're given at the end of a particular arc or course of study, and they're meant to capture you know, the, the, the essence of what a child learned, a student learned at the end of study. Um, but there's also formative assessments. And formative assessments are can run the gamut. It could be a quiz is kind of the typical version of it. But it can also be observations a teacher makes in terms of like who's participating in these conversations and what's the quality of participation that students might have in a conversation. It could be that you ask for a one-sentence summary of, um, of what a, a student took from a reading. It could be that a teacher asks students to pose one original question um, based on their reading or discussion of materials. It could be that they that teachers ask for students to draw a picture um, that summarizes, let's say, a, a core concept in a class. So we yesterday we talked about the difference between, um, oh, I don't know, haikus and sonnets. You know, using no words on a piece of paper, I'd like you to draw me the difference between haikus and sonnets um, and to take a picture and to send it with, to me online. Any of those are considered assessments. And what's most important about those sorts of assessments is that teachers prepare to make those kinds of observations um, systematically in advance. So while there's informal kinds of assessments that can come from observations and things, what's really important when you're teaching large numbers of students at once professionally is that you have you have a, a broader framework for what it is you're looking for and how you're going to keep track of it again systematically and over time. So as we're talking about, you know, the 1.1 million students going online, um, we have to ask ourselves, like, what are the systems our teachers are using to systematically track students' learning and engagement? Those assessments should be really authentic and frequent. 
you know, authentic again, meaning that it doesn't have to be an artificial feeling quiz in response to a reading that kids don't really enjoy. It could also just be, um, you know, the, one that emerges from what is being discussed in, a, in, a, in an online forum or in a classroom discussion. But again, it does, it always has to tie back to these broader frameworks for the way we think about and track learning and growth in our classrooms. So with the example of like, let's say there's an online discussion about a chapter from a book students might have read. If I'm a teacher, um, I might have been using something called accountable talk in the classroom, which is a popular framework for um, and creating a classroom culture where students engage in lively discussions. So even though it's an online discussion and even though the topic of it can vary, I can always take what I'm observing in terms of students' contributions, and I can always tie it back to an accountable talk framework. And I can use simple check, check plus, check minus systems. I can use numbers, zero, one, two, three, that sort of thing, to see over time how students are doing and, and, to, and to use those data to engage differently with different students as needs arise. But these are all sort of like simple steps all under the umbrella of like increasing assessments. You know, another consideration, too, is that assessments don't have to be used just for academic purposes. And in fact, as we're facing a global pandemic um, and as everyone's very uncertain about the way things are unfolding and what's going to come next, it might be a really important time, too, for teachers to also keep a, a systematic uh, track of social emotional learning needs as well. So by assessments, I don't mean tests. By assessments, I just mean that teachers have a system for intentionally assessing and tra keeping track of certain core academic and non-academic skills, and that they use those data then to engage with different students differently, and if necessary, to reach out to families and to like and to check in and to to make it all data driven, um, just so that everyone can be sure that all students are being sort of observed and supported um, and that the teachers too can feel more confident that they have systems in place um, that can that can help all students equitably so that's all for this episode. I'd be really interested, though, you know, to actually to get a sense of what kinds of systems uh, different teachers are using out there in your experiences. So before I do my little tag ending here, um, I might I might actually just ask like if anybody has seen teachers using some great systems for academic or non-academic skills, uh, message me. You could message in the comments and and uh, on any of our social media channels, or you can at me at Tom Liam Lynch on Twitter. I'd be really interested. All right, back to my little outro. That's all for this episode, but our engagement doesn't have to stop here. We have lots of resources and tools over at InsideSchools.org where you can find independent reviews of city schools and sign up for our weekly newsletter. I've also added a weekly newsletter sign up in the show notes, so you can do that there. It comes out once a week on Wednesday mornings usually. Um, you'll also find us pretty active on our Facebook page and on Twitter. And finally, please consider subscribing to our podcast. And if the spirit moves you, leave us feedback. It means a lot. We take it seriously and it directly informs the directions we go in with the podcast, with our blog posts and more. Until next time, I'm Tom Liam Lynch. I'll see you online.